0: Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Fat Muscle Project Podcast. I'm John Gorman, your host, and today it's just being by myself, giving this real quick intro. I want to upload a really fun podcast that I did with my good friend, Will, from Hey Coach Radio. This is something to where we sat down a few months ago and we talked about all the different changes that I've made over the years, the last 15 to 20 years, on functional nutrition, looking at labs, how I've changed, basically how I diet and train my clients, and some of the mistakes that I learned from. We're going to talk about things like taking a break from social media, how that helped health and relationships. We'll talk about elite macro tracking and much much more. This is a really fun episode and I'm I'm glad to share it with you all. Go ahead and check out Hey Coach Radio. Will is a good guy. You guys are going to love him. Super knowledgeable and enjoy this episode. <music>
1: Welcome back to Hey Coach Radio. In this episode, we visit with John Gorman, owner of Team Gorman, a company that works with competitive athletes and the general population to help individuals achieve their best health. John is also the owner of the Fat Muscle Project Supplement line and two anytime fitness locations, as well as the Physique Summit Conference, a three-time best-selling author, and a proud father. Your host, William Grazion, visits with John on how he manages to keep weight off his clients, when and why he started using a functional nutrition approach when coaching, and how taking a much-needed break from social media was beneficial for his health and relationships.
0: What happened with me, though, is you get to the point to where you can't feel good about a lot of things outside of social media. And that's where I started to not feel good about a lot of stuff, in-person interaction, People texted me, I was getting cranky. I'm like, I don't want people texting me. Like I even put it out on my stories one time. I'm like, guys, I don't want to be texted right now. Just because I was one day I had like 101 texts. Like I was like, this is enough. It's because I was burnt out. It's because I had chased so much on social media for so long that I just decided I've got to pull the plug.
1: William also asked John how functional nutrition helped him build his supplement business, his advice for other business owners, and the strategies he utilized for staying committed to writing three books over the last few years. The two also discuss advice for natural bodybuilders, the importance of implementing elite macro tracking for best physique results, and more. Here's your host, William, to take you through it.
2: All right, what's going on everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Hey Coach Radio. In today's podcast episode, I got my good friend, Mr. John Gorman, uh, joining me today on the podcast. And uh, we're going to be talking about some very, at least to us, very interesting topics of conversation that we're going to be diving into. John Gorman, man, if you would, go ahead and introduce yourself
0: to the audience here at Hey Coach Radio. Hey man, well first of all, thanks for having me on. We've done business before. We've been good friends for a while now. So it's kind of cool that we can jump on Zoom and just talk shop because I know your podcast, kind of like mine and the ones that I've done, we've got quite a few coaches that are listening to the show. I love the concept. I love everything that you're doing with your show. So thanks for having me on. Just a little bit about me. I'm kind of old man Gorman these days. Like I've been doing this for a while. I'm 45 years old and I've been coaching since 2007. So, I don't know how much we'll go back into the trenches and into the weeds, but you know you and I have been around a while, so mm-hmm. you know I own uh Team Gorman is my coaching company. that's where I coach a lot of natural bodybuilders at this point in my career, but I'm probably fifty fifty gen pop. I've got a lot of mm-hmm. dads that you know they're my age or they're thirty five to forty five and they just want to look better or, or the moms that want to look and feel better. Um, I do work with some people with hormones and correcting their labs and things of that nature. So I kind of do it all at this point. But, you know, a lot of people really kind of know my work through natural bodybuilding and clients and how they've kind of placed over the last, you know, 10 to 15 years. And then I own a supplement company. It's called Fat Muscle Project. That's P-H-A-T, fat. That's the good fat. Pretty hot and tempting if you're old school and you watched, I think it was Friday is when we first kind of heard that that saying but fat muscle project and we've got somewhere you know along the lines of like 35 products now at this point and it's been up and running for a couple of years so i'm having a lot of fun with that and other than that i've got four books that have been published own a couple different conferences do a lot of speaking and a podcaster elite physique university is is my podcast along with jason theobald who i know is is a guest on your show by the time this drops he's already been on but Excited for people to hear from him, but that's just kind of me in a in a nutshell right now. A lot of different moving
2: parts. Awesome, man. Yeah, I love that. I think it's been, what's it been, like six or seven months since the Elite Physique University seminar in Tampa?
0: Yeah, we had two in 2021, which is kind of cool. You know, COVID kind of put a hurting on all in-person seminars, but we did right. one in March uh, in Tampa, and then we did one in, uh, in November. So you were on the Q&A panel for yeah. the very first one that we did down there was... It was fun. You, Dr. Campbell, me, and Jason, and Lauren Conlon actually jumped in on that one too. So it was a yeah. nice little Q and A panel at the end of the day.
2: Good time. Absolutely. Yeah, I wanted to ask: Are you guys? Do you guys have any plans of coming back uh, at any time in 2022 or potentially 2023?
0: So we're talking about different locations to kind of go to. We've we've done oh various seminars in the Tampa area we draw a lot more people in the Midwest, if we can get it to a point to where, you know, Missouri is kind of the hub and we can get people from all the surrounding states. But, you know, we don't know. We took this year off to kind of reset. I've been going hard and speaking all over, whether it was at the Physique Summit for years or the Elite Physique University. And we're doing some stuff with Fat Muscle. We're going to be launching a, a seminar series with them called Fat Muscle Academy. We've already done one. So we're kind of spread thin and really what needs to happen. And a lot of coaches listening to this probably need to think about this if you ever want to speak. Sometimes you get to the point where you've you've spoken so much that you need to take time to go learn some new stuff and apply it to your clients or yourself. So then you've got some new content to come back with because Mm -hmm. we all get to a certain point to where, you know, the people that follow us and our audience, you know, it grows, but then it kind of stays all within that, that same realm for a few years. And you've got to go find new stuff to learn yourself, and then to also teach the people that like to, you know, consume your content. So, I'm in the middle of stuff like that. I'll probably be doing quite a few more business talks than mm-hmm. physique enhancement. Yeah, um, but it all kind of rolls together. So.
2: Yeah. I think it's kind of like the natural evolution of the business. You know what I mean? Like, obviously we started at a time where nobody was doing anything like they're doing now. And to even coach people online was like this foreign weird thing where you actually had to convince people that I could actually get you results by coaching you on the internet. You know what I mean? And I love what you said there as far as like, oh, kind of always being a student right? Like going and learning new things, bringing that back to your community so that they could essentially evolve this industry as well. And that's actually one of the first things that I wanted to talk to you about, John, was, you know, at this point, you've helped hundreds of people cross the stage as professional natural bodybuilders, even maybe some enhanced folks. And I think, you know, between you, Pete, Fitchin, and Cliff, you guys basically like run the Midwest in terms of natural bodybuilding. And I guess my question to you there is like, What do you feel like would be the most valuable lessons that you could teach somebody that has aspirations of being a physique athlete that hasn't competed yet? So like, you know, back in 2007, 2009, 10, 11, 12, there's a lot of people that were really trying to dive into natural bodybuilding, but we didn't have all the information that we have available nowadays to learn from. So with you having over 15 years of experience, what would you say would be the best advice that you could provide to a potential like future
0: natural bodybuilder? So that's a great question. And it's something that even if someone's been training for maybe even four or five years, you know they feel like that's a long time. This answer might even help them. So I've made a whole career off of learning from my mistakes because I'm not the smartest guy in the room, but I'm very, very good at learning from my mistakes and finding better ways to do things. So to start answering that the correct way for me would be don't do what I did. So when I first found out about natural bodybuilding, I wanted to jump in. I wanted to do a show immediately. And I didn't have the muscle. I didn't have the size yet. I'm five foot nine, five foot 10. I was 155 pounds on stage, which this was before men's physique. So I was not a good bodybuilder. Right.
1: Sure.
0: You know, and I had taken some pro hormones back before my first show. So I couldn't do any natural bodybuilding show. So I was a natural athlete then though, because I wasn't taking anything. And then I competed had to compete in the NPC. So my point is, I should have spent more time not chasing the fact that I wanted to get on stage and Mm -hmm. actually devoted that time to growing. And Mm -hmm. I see a lot of people when they first see people compete, maybe they go to their first show or their friends are prepping. We've all kind of gotten swept up in the romance and the sexiness of being on stage and being shredded. And it's such a foreign thing to see people get this lean And then you get infatuated with that process and people aren't infatuated with the off season because one, you're a little little chubbier, you got a little fat on you, you don't look the way you want to look. And especially when you're starting out, you're not going to look the way that you want to look in the off season. So people automatically want to try and go diet. So to me, the best thing that people can do is just to make sure that they spend the time, quote unquote, looking like a bodybuilder in the off season. When you can walk around, especially as a natural athlete, it's going to be tough. But if you can walk around in a tank top in the gym when you train and people say, this guy's a bodybuilder, he has a good look, Mm -hmm. then you know you're ready to diet down. Because when you're a natural and you diet down, you're not going to look like you trained in a t-shirt. I'm just telling you, when you get that lean, you're going to feel small as hell, small as and you're going to second guess everything. Now you peel that off and you're going to look great on stage. But you really need to look like a bodybuilder in the off season first before you ever try and diet for a show.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that hundred percent. I think that the majority of young athletes that would reach out to me, right. And I'd be like, you just need to spend more time trying to build some muscle, you yeah. know, and maybe they'd see me competing at, I think I was 23, my first show, maybe 24, my second show. But the reality was like, I had played football since I was like 13 years old. You know what I mean? So I'd spent a lot of time already kind of in the trenches, in the weight room, building a really good foundation. But the reality was I could never see what I was building. I just knew I was strong as I was covered up with a bunch of fluff. You know right. what I mean? So for a lot of young, aspiring natural, you know, bodybuilders out there, just spend the time building the foundation. Uh thousand percent, I agree with that. I think that when you get lean, most people anyway, have a very unrealistic expectation of how much they think they should weigh on stage. Right. Yeah. So if you got a 200 pound guy, right. And he's like, oh, I'm gonna be 180 pounds on stage ripped. It's like, well, I got bad news for you, bud. You probably have to lose like 35 pounds to be stage lean, you know? And they're like, I haven't been this light since I was a freshman in high school. But like, obviously we have trying our best to keep the muscle that they have on their frame. So that's a phenomenal advice there. And, you know, you've also taken part in some tremendous transformations that even include one of your dearest friends that's lost hundreds of pounds. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I know that he isn't the only one that you've helped with this. So would you mind sharing some valuable lessons as well for people that are maybe gen pop that have a lot of weight to lose and they need to plan on how they're going to keep it off? So what are some very strategic things that you've done as a coach to help some of these clients that you've helped literally lose over 100, 200 pounds? What have you been able to do with them to actually keep the weight off?
0: Yeah. So the first thing that people need to understand is, is when you're really obese, well, first of all, it's just not going to happen. You're not going to lose it all in one shot. So people think of fat loss, say you need to lose 150 pounds, right? Mm-hmm. And you look at it in one straight shot from A to Z, I'm going to go from 350 down to what's 150 my set, 200 pounds, right? I'm yeah. going to go 350 to 200. But what people don't understand happens in the process of dieting. And those of us that have coached people for a long time You have metabolic adaptation. Basically, that means the lighter you get and the longer you diet, the more your calories have to come down, the more your metabolism naturally is going to slow down, and you're going to see stalls. So to break those stalls, you have to lower calories more, add a little bit more activity, whether it's cardio or maybe even some more weight training. And as time goes on, you're going to get to a point where you stall. So maybe if that person needs to lose 150, maybe they lose 90. And that's amazing. And you have to help them as a coach understand that maybe this podcast will do that for somebody that doesn't have a coach like if you lose 90 great so it's always done in stages fat loss is always done in stages with people that are really heavy and what we did with jason wells he's a perfect example and i actually have him in my presentations when i talk about this we dropped quite a bit of weight and then he got to a sticking point to where his calories were low enough i knew it was going to be hard for him to start sticking to that right so you always want to get to the point to where hey it's time to start raising your calories and I explained to him as long as you are perfect on your diet as we slowly raise calories you might still keep dropping some body fat and some weight because your metabolism speeds up cortisol drops and your body starts to feel good it's actually getting to a healthy place again. Right. And Jason he's always had elite level tracking like the guy will not cheat on his diet at all and that is huge. I can't under underestimate the importance of that. But as we raised calories, he dropped like another 35 pounds or so. I can't remember the number, and we did that for like four, or five months, six months, whatever the time frame was. And then we got his calories up to 3,000. Then we dropped him again, and then boom, he went on another big run. So we were able to kind of do it in three phases. He was 455 pounds, wow, and then we ended up getting him down like around the 235, 240 range if I remember right. So. Right now, he's currently about four weeks out from competing in the WBFF World Championships in the transformation category. He's lean. Like, he's lean enough to step on stage, not, like, two-stage conditioning, because, honestly, he never needs to get to that, because there's just, there's zero point in doing it. Um, This is to prove what someone can do through a transformation. He can see his abs and an ab and thigh. Like, he's awesome, man. So, we're trying to get to that 199. Like that's the one we keep knocking on that door. And he's been there for a couple of weeks. His body's fighting him. He's got kids playing baseball all over the place. But my point is, is it's taken stages. Mm -hmm. So even to get from those three stages, we continued to do work. We'd have an off season, we'd raise his calories. And then we dieted down for this competition. So patience is really hard when you're obese because not a lot of people can understand. There's that just uncomfortable feeling to where it's hard to be patient because you're like, you know what? this sucks. I want it off now. Like you don't want a reverse diet, but mm-hmm. you can still keep dropping when you add those calories back in. So that's probably my best thing I can say is, is do it in stages. Like give yourself a little bit of grace because it's, it's harder than dieting for a show. When you need to drop 150 pounds, that's harder because it takes longer. And it's frustrating. It's very frustrating Mm -hmm. because you're not going to see a lot of changes in the mirror at first because you have so much to lose. You'll see pant sizes drop and things like that. And you'll you'll see the inches drop, but it can still mentally be hard. So you've just got to give yourself some grace. Yeah. I mean, inside of our, I guess we'll call it evidence-based coaching space.
2: That's one of the most phenomenal transformations I've ever seen from any coach in the last 15 years. So I just want to give huge props to you on obviously addressing the fact that for most of these individuals, it's because they've gone far too aggressive for too long and they never actually broke it up into you know phases or seasons or periodized the approach. We've helped multiple people inside of my company as well lose over a hundred pounds. And you know, basically the way that we've always done it was we like to try to break it up in kind of like sets and rep strategy, right? Yeah. So it's saying, Hey, instead of focusing on losing hundred pounds in a straight shot. Like, can we break this up into maybe five sets of 20 or 10 sets of 10 or something like that? Because obviously implementing strategic refeed strategies like a diet break or something like that, where you can do exactly what you just mentioned, it helps the dieter understand that this is going to be a longer process, but it also gives them something to always look forward to and also allows them to celebrate the wins as you start to check them off the list. You know what I mean? Did you find any, like a lot of value when the Matador study came out?
0: So remind are you talking about the diet break?
2: Yeah. Um, So basically obese men, two weeks in a deficit, two weeks at maintenance, two weeks in a deficit, two weeks at maintenance. And ultimately they realized over the course of time that the individuals that use the diet breaks actually maintain most of the weight loss.
0: Yeah. In our world, if I ever have a question about diet breaks, you're going to be the first person I ask. Bill Campbell is going to be quickly behind you. You were the two guys because you kind of laid the groundwork in our coaching world for people that even had the idea, if I remember right. Um, Yeah.
2: Him and I were talking about that the other day because I I had him on the show and uh, I kind of told him kind of my analogy and he was like, I'm going to use that. It's the first time I've heard anybody say that, but I'm going to use that from now on.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so I, I remember hearing some of the coaches talk about it before I even read the study. And mm-hmm. now that I know what I do know about diet breaks, thanks to you guys, I do apply them. But what was interesting in that study, or just with the obese in general, is I see things like that work really well when the tracking is elite. And I'm going to use this word. I, started, I posted it on Facebook today with one of my clients, elite level tracking. Mm-hmm. So I think when people will track 100%, and you give them that diet break, and you give them more calories, and you reduce you know, energy expenditure, and they're, they're not training and doing all the cardio, and they're sleeping, if they track those calories, we can see some pretty amazing things happen. I see people continue to drop weight on weeks of their diet breaks where I've added food, but I tell them, if you want to try and drop, you've got to stick to the diet. It's not just a, hey, here's one or two weeks, just go eat whatever you want, because mm-hmm. If someone's really struggling their metabolism slow and they need a diet break, like Mm -hmm. some people in prep, they can eat themselves fat real easy. So I think tracking has a lot to do with it, but there's so much to be said. Like, I mean, how much detail did you and Bill Campbell go into on the diet breaks? Because that's something that people need to listen to because I know you explain it really well with why that works with cortisol and why it works Mm -hmm. to give them a break and speeding metabolism. But I think tracking should always be up there at the top with that stuff. It has to be. I mean, elite level tracking, like you said, is the
2: foundation because without the tracking, how can the coach trust the client? Right. Like be, Cause right. oftentimes the adjustments that we're making, you know, as well as I do, like if, if we have them, somebody in a deficit and they stall out, the adjustment that we're going to make is going to be pretty minimal in terms of what, people expect, right? Maybe it's a drop of 20 grams, 25 grams of carbs or something like that, just to get them over the speed bump and then keep them cruising. But, you know, when Bill and I were talking about it, it was more so along the lines of, you know, basically implementing this strategy as a sign of like what I noticed people were struggling with back in 2015. So as an example, like people would be coaching with me, right? And then I would notice, hey, they're starting to get burned out. They feel like they need a deload. And I'm like, well, if we're already deloading them from training, why would I not just create this diet break thing, stack the deload with the diet break at a specific point in time, maybe reduce training volume and intensity and all that kind of stuff, and actually have them track how they feel on day one versus how they feel on day five or day seven. And then what's the results show me? right? I don't need a research study to show me what the results were because I actually was sending people word docs. I'm like, tell me how you feel on day one. And all the stuff was the same. It's like, I'm tired. I'm sleeping like my training energy sucks, like libido's trash, all that. Like, tell me how you feel on day seven, right? And then it was always positive. And over the course of time, you know, basically accumulating 10 of those, 20 of those, I was like, I'm onto something here. I don't know what the hell I'm doing, but it made sense to me being a football player my whole life, because there is not a sport in the existence of history, that does not have a break. I have viewed bodybuilding as a sport, right? So I stopped playing football and I'm like, how come in bodybuilding, they don't, they don't have a halftime? There's not a interrupt, there's not a water breaks, there's not, you know, because always in sports, there's an intentional halftime. And the goal of the halftime is to evaluate the game plan of the first half. What happened in the first half, recharge the athlete, kind of talk to the athlete, solve any problems that happened in the first half, and then send them back out on the field to kick ass in the second half, right? So that was the way that I started to basically program my athletes was just like a football player and knowing that they had a halftime. So I'd start them off in a contest prep and we'd push, maybe lose 12, 15, 17 pounds or something. And then we'd use maybe a one to two week break and then we'd push again and we'd push them into the show, sometimes even feeding them up going into the show and actually having them get leaner over the course of time. But I don't want to take up too much of this podcast talking about this. But the whole idea there is just to think further than helping somebody lose 100 pounds or 50 pounds in a straight shot. It's to think beyond that. It's to think, how can I preserve the metabolic health of the individual? And actually put them in a position to win the long game, not fail at the long game, right? So obviously, you planned out very, very well the way that you worked with Jason. We've been able to plan out really well how we've programmed some of these other women that we've helped lose over 100 pounds. And I think the Matador study, for many people that are interested in learning more about diet breaks, is a phenomenal place to start. But then you also have to start to do your own in-the-trenches work and really learn how these things can benefit your clients. Something I wanted to talk to you about, I asked Jason Theobald the same question, and I named his podcast episode, The Shift of the Industry. Right. And the primary reason I named it that is because I kind of look at him through him and Vince Pittstick kind of being one of the pioneers that brought functional medicine, functional nutrition into this industry to really help some of these bodybuilding competition preparation athletes regain hormonal health. So let me ask you. What was your origin in kind of learning to understand this shift in the industry? Basically, bridging the gap from everything that we knew and understood with evidence based coaching and bridging the gap to go into more of like a functional approach, or at least pairing them together to create kind of like this super hybrid model of coaching where you understand more than just calories in, calories out.
0: I love this question and I love this topic because. I remember I was right there in the very, very beginning, and I noticed that there was a shift that that was being made, and there was a shift that needed to be made. And I'll remember the first time, you know, Jason would post a little bit on social media on Facebook. Him and I were the only ones that I know of that were talking about insulin sensitivity, resetting insulin sensitivity, and this was back in like 2015, 2016. And we're starting to talk about these things you're not seeing research on, but it makes sense if you understand the body and how it works and you start to understand cortisol and and insulin sensitivity and those things. And, you know, I own the Physique Summit Conference with Cliff Wilson, and we would have, you know, six to ten presenters at our conference once a year. And this was 2015 until, you know, 2020 until COVID kind of shut it down. But right around 2019 is when I decided, okay, We need to get Jason in here to talk about – he already talked about insulin sensitivity. I did as well. He needs to talk about hormones and understanding labs, testosterone, cortisol's effects on everything. And I remember when we first started doing that, 2019, you were seeing some of it online, but you weren't seeing people put it out at scale. So when we had that presentation, I held it until the very end of the, the conference. And I told everybody, I was like, listen, I want to give Jason as much time as he needs. This is the talk that every no disrespect to all of our speakers, myself included, this is the talk everyone needs to hear because this is early and it's new and this is going to change everything. And I don't want to name names, but there were some people there that are well-known coaches. They did not like it because it was different and it was change. And they said, well, you shouldn't tell people you shouldn't try and help them change their hormone profiles on their panels. And I'm like, guys, it's just done through functional med. Like you don't understand. It's supplementation and diet and and approaches to training and, and or not training. No one's telling you to go adjust your doctor's meds for your clients. That's not what this is. So at first, it kind of you start talking about hormones, and it throws the evidence-based coaching, you know, on its ear. And everybody's like, no, you can't do that. Then when they started to understand what he was saying. The next thing you know, here comes the wave, right? So it was kind of early. Him and Vince were kind of early to this. I was early with helping him to have a platform. And then I quickly realized I need to learn this. So Jason and I started Elite Physique University in late 2019 right after that. And I'm learning a bunch as we go. And I'm going to different conferences like the Nutridone conferences. and, And I'm trying to learn and keep up. And they're blazing a trail. So that was 2019, and it's like everything else. i've I'm usually not early to things. Like I was way late to Instagram. Uh, I was okay on Facebook. Like everybody should be early if you want to catch the first wave of something. Well, we were fortunate enough to be early on this one because now, if you look around, everybody is a functional med coach. Like everybody's fixing hormones. Everyone's doing this and that. And that's okay because that's the way things happen. Everyone's listening to the podcasts and the content, and the conferences, and they're learning and they're trying to go play it. So does it make the world a better place if people are doing good work? It does. Mm-hmm. But the only thing is now you have to sift through who's actually good at what they do and who's not. It's kind of like when we right. saw the explosion of online coaches back in like 2013 and 14. Next thing you know, everyone's doing a show and now they're an online coach. It just makes it harder to sift through and know who's good. But that's that's kind of my entrance into it and you know, I'm kind of an all-in all-or-nothing guy. So when I started learning a ton, I really started in 2018 and it just clicked and it made sense. Dude, it made me such a better coach to understand not just how to keep my clients healthy after a show, but it also taught me who to turn away and tell them, "Hey, you're not ready to diet for a show or you're not ready to diet at all. We've got to fix X, Y, and Z." And it was tough at first because you start asking clients for labs and you've not been asking them for labs at all. And there's fight, man, they fight you on it. But, you know, it takes time. And then later on, it just becomes part of the norm and people start to understand that's what you do. Yeah,
2: I think that there was a lot of guessing early on. Right. It's like because the reality is, is that there's real data out there that basically shows when you chronically diet somebody for competition, you can see their hormone levels tank, right? There's research out there that exists on that. I think the first time I'd ever seen it was when um, Pete Fitchin and Chris Fawz actually presented at an evidence-based seminar that I was a part of. And they both were like, dude, this is where my testosterone was. This is where my thyroid was. And this is where it was at the end of prep. And I'm like, holy crap. Like, how do you get that back? Right. And at the time, all we had was like reverse dieting. We just knew we got we gotta start feeding people up. But the question became well, how long do I have to reverse diet for? You know that, right? Everybody's asking, How long does six months long enough? And just it became the standard of the industry to say six months is how long you need to reverse diet for. But the reality is now you can really go in and you can take a look at somebody after four months, six months, eight months, and you can actually see. Where were your levels at the end of your contest prep or your fat loss journey? Where are they at now, four, six, eight, 12 months later to make sure that we've actually fully recovered before we dive into it again, right? But that didn't exist before you really, you guys kind of brought it to the industry. And uh, now there's a lot of people doing it. So I guess my next question to that is, why do you think there's still separation inside the space when ultimately a lot of the things that we're doing now with clients you know, we had to fail in order to keep trying to hunt for the information to actually be able to help the people that were kind of classified as non-responders, right? So like, why do you think we still have the separation and more people aren't saying, I have to do this And if, you know, in order to continue to help these people that, you know, maybe if they were just left to their own vices or they're just tracking macros or they're just reverse dieting, they're not getting the help that they need. And they're not able to actually, you know, recover from their prep because nobody's actually looking at their labs. It's like, why do you think that space, it still exists?
0: Yeah. Separation. I, I see it a lot. I've closely followed this before even functional meds started to become more widespread in our industry. It comes down to a handful of different types of people. But I remember when flexible dining first started, you know, we were yeah. all starting to do that. Yeah, this massive, massive pushback because It was change and it's not something that people understood. You know what I mean? So, like all the bro coaches, and I was a bro coach, by the way. I'm always going to be half bro, but I was a bro coach. I'm like, you're eating this meal plan, you're eating chicken and potato and you're eating fish and rice. I'm like, this is it. Like, don't eat anything not on the diet. That was the thing. So, the idea that someone could eat, you know, whatever and keep track of their macros and still diet and do a show, it, threw a lot of people off. And I'm using this as an example to get back to our functional med talk. Mm-hmm. So those people that didn't embrace it, now the next thing you know, because it was early, the next thing you know, here comes the wave. And a lot of people are doing it. And people are getting shredded. And they're enjoying the process. And they're enjoying their food they're eating. And they're not having a huge eating disorder after they're done, right, compared to the old bro diets. So the next thing you know, though, the bro coaches, I know so many coaches, they don't even work anymore. They go work for someone else because they're out of business because they didn't adapt to what the clients needed. And that to me is what's going to happen here. And what is happening, if you don't start to understand and take care of your clients at a scale that we're talking about, another coach will. And if you're super resistant to change, you're going to run into that problem. So that's the first thing is change. Just there's some people just don't handle change. The other thing is, there's always going to be a little bit of ego of, you know, I didn't think of that. So I don't want to do what these other popular coaches are doing because I don't want to be like them. Like, I didn't think of that. Like, in the back of their head, you can't be like that. You've got to constantly try and change and evolve. And that comes from learning from your mistakes. And, you know, to me, that's the two different reasons I see that there's a lot of pushback. And then finally, the last reason for evidence based coaches is, we're not seeing a ton of research on this. Like I've talked to Dr. Bill Campbell about doing some research on my my natural test booster called Hormone Optimizer. And I'm not sitting here trying to plug the product, but it's a perfect example of why functional med worked and why we don't see a lot of people doing it. If I didn't understand how testosterone and cortisol were tied together and how high cortisol knocks testosterone down a lot, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have been able to create hormone optimizer, and it's not just a test booster where you throw the kitchen sink at everybody like everyone right. else is. Right. This one, it lowers cortisol, and it's a two-pronged approach, which means if your body's not chronically making high cortisol levels, you lower cortisol, it can make more testosterone. It does that, and then it throws the test-boosting properties like deaspartic acid in there, so it's a one-two punch of lower cortisol and boost it up. and that's worked so well. I mean, sitting right behind me actually is one of the guys that's worked the best for. And he's, his name's Jacob Klessens. He's an IPE pro. He runs fat muscle and he was one of the first ones to take it. And he took all of his labs and he was in the off season and his test levels were at a certain range. And I don't want to give those out because that's his information, but they were Mm -hmm. at a certain range. Mm -hmm. He started taking it and tested one or two months later and they jumped way up. And The next thing you know is now he preps. and During peak week, if I remember right, he did his labs again. His test levels using hormone optimizers during peak week were higher than they were in the off-season before hormone optimizer because it's one of those things when you understand how the body works and you give it enough time off, we were able to develop a product like that and test it on him and multiple, multiple people that we know. I've seen that with a ton of people that I helped diet for shows, but functional med and understanding that helped us develop that product. And that's why it's our best-selling product to this day because it just works.
2: Yeah. I would have to imagine that something like that or any, any of the other products or even supplements in general that, you know, can help to maintain the integrity of the hormonal profile during a fat loss phase or something like that. Ultimately it would help the athlete keep their strength, keep their lean body mass and likely not have so much metabolic adaptation after a diet.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, I remember him saying, and I probably should just pull him over here and let him jump on. <laughs> he, um, you know, he was talking about how good he felt during the prep and yeah. he, compared to other preps where you know you feel like you should because yeah. that's what we say. Well, if you feel like shit, you're
2: ready. Yeah, you I mean, I remember like at six weeks out, my libido would just plummet. Yeah. And it was always at about six, eight weeks out. Once I started to see some lines in my glutes, like my libido is just plummets. And that's also typically when my strength started to like hanging on for
0: dear life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. His, his all stayed up and he felt great. So it was embracing the functional med and understanding how the body worked mm-hmm. that if not, you know, I would still be doing everything that I was doing five years ago and I wouldn't be able to help my clients achieve better results. Because think about that. Mm-hmm. Think about if you're working with 50 clients and you can help them all keep their testosterone levels better as they diet right versus if you didn't like it's it's crucial to understand how the body works
2: yeah so that's actually a perfect segue into the next series of things that i wanted to discuss with you and that's basically how the idea or the integration of functional nutrition functional medicine protocols into evidence-based nutrition coaching kind of helped you decide to go full bore with your supplement company, Fat Muscle, and maybe even how it may have um, kind of influenced some of the products that you have on your line now. And it seems like you're kind of putting a new product out all the time, but how do you feel like that integration into functional nutrition, functional medicine actually helped you to go full bore with Fat Muscle?
0: You know what? It all kind of happened right around the same time because it was about the 2019 time frame um, that I was with a prior company. For a long time, I was sponsored by First Form, mm-hmm. um, Good company. They treated me good. And we were able to help a lot of people over there. But it was time for me to move on and do my own thing. And what I noticed was is that this whole time that I'm leaving that company, I needed products for my clients. Yeah. And I was really learning about functional meds. So they kind of just kind of merged together. And I knew very quickly after leaving, I was going to start my own supplement company. And it was that knowledge that helped me understand there's going to be bestsellers and then there's going to be products that are, listen, I need my clients to take these because I need to take care of them, right? Mm -hmm. So we have our products that are called premium, like premium vitamin D. We have a premium vitamin C that's actually being made right now, vitamin C powder, premium joint health. They're not going to be the sexy products. They're not going to be hormone optimizer or, you know, I've got this one sitting next to me, our non-stem pre-workout called Bulletproof, or you've got hard to kill over there that you're drinking. I mean, there it is right there, right? They're not going to be the super sexy ones. Matter of fact, here's our newest one we just dropped. It's called premium prostate support. How unsexy is that? (laughs) But the point is we needed stuff like that. So I had to understand how the body works. And a lot of this stuff, if it really just comes down to it, I'm just a coach that made a bunch of products for my clients, Mm. you know what I mean? And, you know, now it's, it's obviously it's grown to the point to where, you know, we've gotten employees. like I said, Jacob's sitting over here. He basically runs the whole company and we're doing all kinds of fun stuff with apparel launches and pre-sales and just, you know, good fun stuff. And it's gotten to that point, but it really just kind of boiled down to like, what supplements do we need and what do our clients need? And it was that functional med played a huge role in that. Huge role. You mentioned Jason. You know, Jason's been such a huge influence on me. He owns New Ethics Supplements, and I didn't want to compete with him. So we actually Fat Muscle carries our own line, but anything that he makes, like Cordies and things of that nature, uh, the Chase Berry Life is almost for women. We carry their stuff as well because he makes some of the best products in the industry. So. They're really focused on functional med. So, you know, we work hand in hand with them. So that's that's kind of our company in a nutshell.
2: Yeah, I love that, man. I think um, something that I wanted to talk about is how I suppose the way that you've grown fat muscle isn't your traditional way of kind of growing a supplement company. At least it's not what I'm seeing a lot of. What I mean by that, and this is out of full respect for you, your hustle, your grind, because anybody who follows you on social media, I mean, you're driving a trailer all around the mid- Midwest. You're getting your supplements into supplement shops. I think you just partnered with a grocery store franchise. Like you're doing a lot of things behind the scenes. You're growing out a team, but you're not blasting the stuff all over social media and like all that kind of thing. But you're doing a lot of the work the right way of creating partnerships, creating community, creating a movement behind your brand. Uh, what would you say are like some of the most valuable key lessons that you've been able to? You know, gain maybe over the last few years of growing your brand in a very unconventional way. Like you didn't decide to grow a big email list and you didn't do any of that kind of stuff and push a bunch of advertisements on Facebook or like what a lot of people are doing. So, what would be some tips that maybe you would offer to somebody of, you know, not necessarily feeling like they have to go that way, but just showing up, doing really good work, creating really good products and getting an amazing team of people behind you to support your movement?
0: You know what? because I know there's, like I said, a lot of coaches listening, you and I have spent, dude, if if people could be a fly on the wall for some of our conversations, (laughs) you're either on the phone or like whenever I come to Tampa and we just sit and talk and we're like, okay, it's 1am. Like we got to shut it down. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I get back home to wife and kids, but yeah, there's something that you and I know, we know what goes into this. I want to give some of that, that you and I know To people, but I don't know if everyone's going to listen because Mm -hmm. people aren't patient enough. And normally you say the word patience and people immediately tune out because they want to know now what can I do right now? Well, you can listen right now because this is going to be crucial. Guys like you and I, I wish I was smart enough to understand everything I was doing over the last 10 to 15 years would lead to this moment that would lead to creating fat muscle in such an organic way that it's just been, I hate to say easy but it really it's been pretty smooth we'll just use that word if coaches like you and I back in the day knew we would really capitalize on this you spend so much time over 5 10 15 years helping clients helping answer questions on social media being on podcasts just doing things to help people and if you work with 20 50 100 clients a year we'll think about that for 5 10 15 years You've got a list of people that you've just went and helped. And you're right, I didn't keep an email list, but I took such good care of those people and answered so many questions over the last however long. And those people came back. And when I launched a supplement company, they were immediately loyal because they wanted to give back to me because I gave to them. So if people would just remember that when you're taking care of clients or you're answering one question in your Instagram DMs right now, Go above and beyond, help that person, not because you want to get something from them later, but do it genuinely. And mm-hmm. I'm telling you, when you go to launch something, those people will come support you. A large percentage will. And that's what happened. We just saw immediate growth right out of the gate. You know, I didn't go to the bank. I used my own money because I grew up poor as So like, mm-hmm. I don't really spend money. I've got it sitting in a bank. You know what I mean? Like, I don't invest it. I don't do any of that. It's just in the bank. We started Fat Muscle and I think it was after two months, we were making a profit. Net income's going up, bank account's going up. And it was because people just showed up to support it. And I was like, wow, you know? Mm-hmm. And you know, at first I thought, well, they're supporting it because people like competition. They were like, oh, we're going to see Fat Muscle first form go at it. And, yeah. you know, that's always kind of a fun thing at first, but it's never about that. It's not about that. And it shouldn't be about that. Those people showed up to support it. And we started to see that. And my current clients now, they all buy it, you know, Jacob's clients buy it and our coaches. That's why we have such a good staff of like, we've got like 16, 17 coaches at this point, Cliff and Pete. and Well, by the time this drops, Ryan Irwin, who's the president of the NAMBF and part of the IPE, he's coming oh, on, wow. board. we haven't announced it yet. But, you know, by the time this drops, it will be. Congratulations. Yeah. Like those good people, their clients use it because they trust it and they know that they have to get tested, you know, a lot of testing and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But that's what happened. Those people showed up. But it's all tied to that 10 to 15 years of me helping people and treating them good. And that's what sets you up to be able to launch something. You know, whether it's a book or a supplement company, or you want to start doing some seminars, whatever it is you're selling outside of coaching, you've got to think about well, if I've only been coaching for two years, no one's buying my book. Mm -hmm. You know, you might start a supplement company, but who's going to buy it? The few people that are going to see it on social, because you have zero reach on social right now. It's just too hard. You've got to have a client base and you've got to have a a loyal base of people that you've helped, friends. like I just consider them all my friends. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So that was crucial. Obviously, right now, there's a
2: massive flood of online nutrition coaches coming into the marketplace everybody's just kind of copy and pasting everybody's content, everybody's putting up all their graphics, and they're just content machines, at least, you know, trying to be. And what you just told us was a going completely against the grain of what that is, right? It's relationships, it's community, it's influence, it's impact, and it's over 10-15 years of time to where I can confidently say, when I release this product, I know my people got my back. You know, not to mention, look at the last five, 10 years of you putting out free information with like your knowledge bomb of the day and all types of stuff like that. All the um, YouTube videos that you put out, all the podcast episodes that you have put out and all of that, people want to support that message. But let's talk about this a little bit because Oftentimes right now, people are extremely distracted and they think the only way to grow online nutrition coaching business is to post every day and be in my stories every day and market and market, and push and push and, and all that stuff. And what we're seeing is that a lot of people are actually coming into the industry, John, and they're like, you know, I'm going to build this business to this and that. And they get one, two years in, they get burned out and they just drop off. You know, they just throw in the towel. I'd rather work for somebody else because this is too much for me. But even, you know, the older guys like us that have been around over a decade, how can that negatively influence us? Because we were on Instagram, you know, well- let's just say, we were on Facebook before there was Instagram. There was no Instagram when we actually started. Hell, I think we were even in the forums, just like throwing information out there for free in the message boards, just trying to answer people's questions in the gym. And we're just trying to bless people with as much information as we possibly can over a very long period of time. And the reality is like, we were doing this for free. So like that expectation of receiving money is like, we'd still do it for free. You know what I mean? But my question for you is, a lot of the people right now that are trying to grow an online presence, market a brand, whatever it may be, they're getting burned out because of social media and it's costing them their quality of life, right? Maybe it's high stress. Maybe it's constant anxiety. Maybe it's a phone addiction. Maybe, maybe it's even just addiction to dopamine and various other things. You recently cut your Instagram off for, I think, like three or more months in a row. It's almost six. Probably, six right? months. I wanted to ask you what were some feelings that maybe you were going through before you decided to do that, and then how did releasing it from your
0: life? How did that actually help you? It was something I knew I wanted to do all of 2021, yeah. but I'll be honest, I was like, man, like if I do that, am I going to like stop getting clients? You know, I'm always perpetually thinking that I'm going to go broke. Like it just it. it I got the same mindset, man. Yeah. Yeah. Like you always feel like if I have a low month, I'm like, man, this is the end. I'm going to lose everything. And it's not true. No. So it it got to the point to where I'm like a super highly motivated at work nonstop. I love that. Like, that's what I love. And I was getting to the point where I just wanted to lay in bed and play video games. And nothing wrong with video games, by the way, because I do that shut my brain down too. Mm -hmm. Like I do. I'm a nerd. And I didn't want to do anything. I was like sleeping a lot. And my motivation was really low. And I finally noticed like every time I would open up my phone and I would go to post, the first thing I would see is whatever's at the top of the feed of Instagram at the time. Like it would just get under my skin to the point where I was just negative all the time. And it was affecting my happiness. And it was just that over and over. So it was like a year of that. And What I really think happened, and people should look up Dr. Andrew Huberman, Huberman Mm -hmm. Lab, and listen to his talk on dopamine. And I'm not going to try and butcher it because I'm not an expert. But what I can tell you is normally when you first start posting to Instagram, for example, and you get some likes and some comments, like here's the thing. It's good attention. Like it feels good. We all like that, right? You post a current picture and you're like, hey, I'm down 15 pounds. Like I feel good. And people are like, hey, you're looking awesome. That feels good. Then what happens is, is you find yourself constantly chasing that dopamine and that feeling, and you, you're posting more, and you're searching, and you're not really working to get those levels of dopamine excitement. You're just constantly on here. So what happens is is you stop feeling it. You stop feeling good, right? So go look him up. What happened with me, though, is you get to the point to where you can't feel good about a lot of things outside of social media. And that's where I started to not feel good about a lot of stuff. In-person interaction, people texted me. I was getting cranky. I'm like, I don't want people texting me. Like I even put it out on my, on my stories one time. I'm like, guys, I don't want to be texted right now. Just because I was one day I had like 101 texts. Like I was like, this is enough. It's because I was burnt out. It's because mm-hmm. I had chased so much on social media for so long that I just decided I've got to pull the plug. And I did. I'll never forget I went like four, five, six months, however long. I never opened it up and checked it ever. We've got our fat muscle page. I had that on there, but mine wasn't logged in. So sometimes I would like, you know, I need to help Jacob out. I would post something real quick. I never searched it and I never missed it one bit at all. I turned it back on because I wanted to promote my book, Knowledge Bomb of the Day. I wanted to promote that. I thought, okay, let's kind of see. I think it's been long enough. I immediately opened it. And immediately did not want to have anything to do with it. And what I noticed is I had a pop-up that said, if you promote reels, you can get paid. And I noticed everything I, I was seeing, and I'm not trying to scroll through Instagram, like everything was like reels and like people doing stuff to music. And that's totally fine. Like have fun, do your things. But I'm noticing it's like they're trying to drive people to post more, like you said, over and over and over. And people are spending so much time on this content. I was like, man, I just, this is not what I want to do. Yeah, and it just brought that burnout feeling back. So what I did was I still have it on there. I just I post my stuff and I move on. And now things are getting such low engagement. Like I might get one or two comments on an awesome transformation I just posted with the guys, macros and everything like that. It, it'll probably get one or two comments, and that's it. And that's because everyone's constantly posting so much. Like it's just going to get lost. Yeah, it's going to yeah. get lost in the feed. So. That's why I took it off. I think to answer another question that you asked me was, how's that affecting coaches? And I think what it is, is people that are trying to grow their business, they think that this is going to be the key. And what it is, is this is like if you're in a football stadium full of people and you're trying to scream as loud as you can and get somebody up in the press box to hear you. They're not going to hear you because everybody's yelling. So if you're trying to build your brand, quote unquote, or your client base on this, Good luck because that's what everyone's trying to do. The number one thing people can do is take those clients that you have right now and you've got to spend that time, still post and show people like your client results and tell your story, but don't try and post in a way to try and get people to hire you because it just isn't going to work. You need to spend that time on your clients because word of mouth is what scales your business 110%. You go above and beyond for those five, 10 clients you have or the 50 that you have and you work your ass off. They're going to tell everyone for you. Mm-hmm. You build your brand by word of mouth. You don't build it through this. Like- yeah, I agree with you,
2: man. I'm actually really excited about some things that we're going to be doing uh, this year to actually bring our local clients that are in Tampa Bay together to create community inside of that. And again, it really has nothing to do with social media. It's more about the Community, the interaction, the ability for our clients to get to know each other, you know, and the ability for us to be able to provide them some level of value, maybe be through an education type of thing or just getting to know their coach, you know. So if you are somebody, and keep in mind, like I've been in that position before, I think I reached burnout, it was like 2019 or 2000, and probably 2019, right before COVID. And I was in a bad spot, man. I'm like, God, I feel like I, all I do is spend time on my phone. I feel like I'm wasting so much time. And at the time, you know, I had just had my fourth child, right? I'm like, something's got to change here. Because like the amount of time I'm spending on this phone, I'm, I'm forgetting about what's most important in my life, right? And that's my family, that's my wife, It's my kids. And your know, business is something that... Obviously, I spend a lot of time in it's something that I do. It's something I do to provide. It's something I do to protect my family. But it can't be every single thing that I do. And my phone should not be getting more attention than the people in my actual life, right? 100%. So, uh, something I wanted to close out with here is, you know, something that I'm actually working on right now, and you were a big push on this not necessarily in you telling me, but just in your overall actions. And I've kind of watched and I, I've observed you do this, but the fact that you've been able to write four books over the course of the last X amount of years, you know, is something that I, I really look at and I really respect. And so I'm actually working on one right now as well. And yeah. something that I wanted to ask you is like, what type of routines do you set in place to basically continue to be so consistent with putting out a book, because I think some people, you know, maybe they'd start on something like that and then they're just like, God, they just, you know, lose track of it. They forget about it, whatever. But to put one book out, that's cool to put two books out that's even cooler, but have four books out, right? So you have the flexible diet solution, I believe metabolic capacity, reverse dieting, ask a diet coach, and then you just release knowledge bomb of the day. So that's four books. What are some things that John Gorman does to basically set you up to where you have that time to write?
0: Cause obviously you're busy, but how do you make it work? So it's interesting. I just grabbed my notebook and my pen because like I said, I'm old man Gorman, but this is my to-do list for the day. Yeah. You're the same way, man. Like I've got a daily to-do list with dates and all that. Some people keep a calendar. That's fine. If you do it in your phone, that's cool too. But what I would do with this is I would grab my notebook. I've always got four or five for different things. Mm -hmm. And I'll use the book that's been half written for a while that I just haven't wanted to finish up. It's advanced ketogenic dieting. And I've given talks on that all over the place. If I wanted to go ahead and sit down and finish that book up, I would do it here in the next few weeks, at least the first run of it. And I would take this and I would bullet point it out and I would write each chapter in order. I would just put down what the chapter in order is going to be. And then I would take the first chapter and then I would sit there and bullet point everything that I want to talk about in that chapter. And it's literally that easy. You go chapter at a time and you just sit there with your notebook in front of you. And once you bullet pointed out the thoughts, then you just sit down and into a word document because i'm self-published it Mm -hmm. was really easy to do it anyone can do it yep sit down in a word document and i look at the first chapter i look at the bullet points and i just sit there and i type out everything i want to say like you and i are sitting here doing a podcast because if we were talking about advanced ketogenic dieting i would just explain well here's what ketosis is here's how to get into it and i just type in that manner and i write Mm -hmm. that manner now i have my editor who loses brain cells having to edit my stuff? But thank God for his name's Kurt. Thank God for him. And then he does the second run, and then we get it all all edited. But that to me, I would sit down and do that at night. Unfortunately, I've got this habit of drinking sugar free Rock Stars and Monsters. Monsters. So, <laughs> yeah, I would crack one of those open at eleven o'clock at night when the kids, you know, are in bed. And yeah. you know, this is when I was with Leslie and she was in bed. And like, I would just go to work and it's just one of those things I would write for two or three, four hours. And I literally would write a book in two weeks, Mm. but I would just go all in because it was fresh. I was motivated. And what I found was if I tried to do it once a week, I didn't keep that motivation up. But if I just went all in and I put all the other stuff to the side for a short amount of time, and I made that time for it, I would get it done. And that's what personally works for me. Yeah. I think finding that Deep work
2: time period and that flow, that kind of that flow state, that's, if you will, that works for you, that's the most important, right? So, like a lot of people say, Oh, it's got to be done first thing in the morning, but obviously you've always been a night owl, right? You yeah. crack a monster at 11 o'clock at night, and then the next thing you know, you got thousands and thousands of words typed out on, on a word doc. And like that is chapter one of your book and then you just kind of do that repetitively over the course of time and before you know it you're putting a book out more consistently so dude thank you so much for that you know obviously um I'm in the process right now of writing something as well, which I'm really excited to have the opportunity just to follow through with that. I think that anything that I've built in the last couple of years, whether it be our educational platforms or anything like that, it's always been done when I can find this really sound kind of flow state and I get into it and I'm riding this wave of being excited to get something done again like you said not doing it once a week but actually diving into it maybe every day because once you start to ride that wave you don't slow down until it's done with right it's almost like you're picking up kind of energy or picking up stamina as you start to ride the wave and then you're really getting into your thoughts and your feelings and your emotions about a specific topic and then the word document's done and then you basically send it off to your editor and then it's about all right we need to go ahead we need to self publish this thing we need to get it up on Amazon so really appreciate that man and uh appreciate your time John obviously I tried to tell you I was going to keep you less than an hour which I think we did a good job at that I think we're right at yeah. an hour so But uh, I just want to say thank you so much for your time, John. Any closing words for the uh, nutrition
0: coaches out there, man? I'll keep it brief. And I was hoping I had just a second. Yeah. If I could talk to all the coaches out there right now who are just trying to grow a business, not trying to grow your brand, but you're trying to grow your business because the brand will grow itself. The number one thing that you can do is don't do what everyone else is doing. I gave a talk one time. I was at first form, as a matter of fact, going back to that back in the day, Andy Priscilla and I were on stage. And they just put me up there They're like, Hey, we've got 200 coaches out here that are trying to be successful. What would you tell them right now? I'm, like, well, shit, I'm on the spot. So I grabbed a big marker board and I drew a road that had a fork. One went left and one went right. And I drew a bunch of dots all over the one going right. And I'm like, guys, that's what everyone's doing right now. If you want to be different and you want to try and make it to six figures, you want to accomplish XYZ, you can't do what's popular. You can't do what everyone else is doing. You have to go left while everyone else is going right. And if you look at the great achievers of all time, they're the people that went left, not right, mm-hmm. You know, metaphorically speaking. Yeah. So right now, with the way social media is, if you're doing everything that you think is going to work, like posting five times a day and doing the same copy and paste of all the content being put out, that's not going to be it. What's everyone not doing? They're not tripling down on their clients. You've got to triple down on taking care of people, and they will take care of you and grow your business, and your brand will grow because of it. If I can just get people to do that, the problem is people are too caught up. They want the likes and the comments, and they want the number, but do you want to make money and a lot of money, or do you want your social media to grow? And It's not even growing right now, so I'm telling you, go left, don't go right. That's what I can tell yeah i mean this will definitely be a topic of conversation for maybe another
2: podcast because i'd love to have you back on the show but you know there's a lot of online fitness business coaches out there now right and for a lot of them the platform is the exact same like they're telling all these people to do the exact same thing right and what you're saying is those are all the people going in this direction stand out go in the opposite direction and actually make a name for yourself Really appreciate your time, John. Thank you so much, man. And uh, on behalf of Hey Coach Radio, thank you to our listeners out there for always supporting us. If you found a lot of value in this podcast episode, please feel free to go ahead and share it on your social media. And uh, appreciate all the listeners. God bless you all, and we'll talk to you soon.
0: Bye.